as we come to the word, this is what's on my heart this afternoon from the scriptures for this week. The kingdom of heaven rests on our response to God. And God wants us to do these three things. So you probably heard me just say that in the announcement. On the 13th, we're coming to seek God, to hear him, and to go from there. So the kingdom of God depends on us seeking him, us hearing him, and us obeying him. If people that do that experience the advance of the kingdom, the advance of the presence of God in their own life, in their community, and through their life, and through their community, in their society. Those are big statements. Let's break it down and let's see what the, the scripture has to tell us. So we're going to read today from uh, Matthew. If you don't have your physical Bible and then you haven't already downloaded the app, now is a good time to do that. Just point your camera, you'll see a link come up, click it, download the app, and you'll have it. It's free. It's the whole Bible, old, new, in between. I'm not joking. Uh, depending on the translation you, you use, there's some other books that are included in there that would be beneficial. Okay. We're turning to Matthew chapter 22 this morning, this afternoon. The story is that Jesus was being, in the midst of the people and the disciple, he was being questioned. So in the midst of his question, he gives them this response. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, Go and work in the vineyard today. And he, the son, answered, I will not. But later changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said to the, uh, to the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you. Now, whenever Jesus uses the word tax collector, you have to understand what he's saying. Tax collectors were Jewish people from Israel living amongst their own people, in other words, Jews, living amongst other Jews, at the time of the Roman occupation. Caesar had put taxes on all the different countries and regions that he was conquering, the Roman Empire. So what they had to do was collect tax. They're not like the CRA agents of today. The CRA agents today work with you. Well, depends on who you talk to, but they are fair generally. That's... It's a separate conversation. But these tax collectors were people of your own family that have been taxed, 
tasked with collecting tax, but because of the way that the system worked, they always took a little bit of extra. They always took a little gravy. They always put a little bit more in their pocket because they had authority and nobody could question them. There wasn't an audit that you can go and do. Whatever the tax collector would determine, you were to pay based on the size of your farm, the number of cows and cattle you had, whatever he determined, because he knew you. He was part of you. He understood who you were in society. So he would determine, and it was always a male, he would determine what you owed. And there was always a little extra cut. So they were basically powerful people, but they were people that had sold their own families out to be able to benefit from them. Reminds me of a story. There were these two brothers in a city, and they were known to be really bad criminals. They had their own gangs that they were running. There was, it was one, two brothers, family, one family. They would embezzle, they would set up businesses and control. They were giving protection to some other businesses. You know what the kind of people I'm talking about. And nobody could do anything because they had the police in their pocket. This is just recently. And one day, uh, and the, the pastor of the church in the city knew who they were. And uh, once in a while they would show up at church because that was their mother's church. But they were not good people. So one day, the, one of the brothers dies. And the other brother comes to the pastor and he says, uh, uh, you're going to do the funeral, right? He goes, sure, I'd be honored. He goes, uh, I want you to say something during the funeral. I want you to say that this man was an angel. And the pastor says, but I know what kind of man he was. And uh, he says, uh, I hear you guys need a new roof. He goes, yeah, we need a new roof. He goes, well, here's a new roof to make sure that you say he's an angel. So he gives him a check for $150,000. Now the pastor is caught in a dilemma. We need the money for the roof. But I can't lie about who this man is. Everybody in the, the church knows who he is. Everybody in the city knows who he is. So he prays. He seeks. God hears and answers. So he hears. And now he has to obey. Now he's put in a very tough situation. What's he going to do? So the day of the funeral comes. They bring in the casket with the, the dead brother. The rest of the family is sitting there, including the brother. And he stands up and he starts. He says, all of you know, we're gathered here today to pay our last respects to so-and-so. You know what kind of man he was. He stole from many of you. He cheated most of you. And he even stole from his own mother. And then he looks at the brother and points to him. But compared to his brother, he was an angel. Silva's not laughing. I think you've heard this one a few times. <laughs> so, tax collectors back in the day, yeah, we're back on track. Tax collectors back in the day were people like that. So when Jesus says these words, and he says, 
Truly I tell you, the tax collectors, and then he throws in the prostitutes. Everybody knows the prostitutes. They need the money, so they'll do whatever. Are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. I'm glad you're, you're awake. Thank you. You got to keep up. I did this last week and nobody said anything until the end. Thank you. All right. I'll keep doing this once in a while just to make sure you're on, the, on track with me and actually reading. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm an angel. <laughs> All right. So Jesus says to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors, in other words, the sinners, the sinners, the ones that have already said no to God because they've gone their own way. Like the older brother who said no. And he says to them, or I don't know if it's the older or the, the first brother. The second brother said no and then said yes, sir, and he never did. So here he's telling them the tax collectors and the prostitutes. In other words, those who had said no at the beginning are going to enter the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. This was a warning. This was a rebuke. This was a slap to the faces of the religious and those that want to appear righteous and it's a wake-up call. At the time of Jesus, this is what he was intending to do. He did not want to just condemn them. He wanted them to wake up. Because everybody has the opportunity to repent. John came to preach repentance. He said here, he came to you in the way of righteousness and he preached repentance. Be baptized and be saved from your sins. Enter into the kingdom that is coming. The Messiah is coming. And the Messiah is holy. We just finished singing, holy, holy, holy. So this is not only a wake-up call to the people, the religious people, the seemingly good people of Jesus' time. It's a wake-up call to every one of us in our generation, especially to us in the church. It's a wake-up call that says, hey, listen, you've said I do, and now you're not. I mean, think about this. The Bible teaches us that the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the one that is engaged to her bridegroom. There's a wedding coming. What bride doesn't have her mind and her heart preoccupied constantly with her bridegroom? She's not just preoccupied with the dress with the, f the party, the festivities, the reception. She's preoccupied with the moment that she and her fiancé, her bridegroom, will be one mind, body, flesh couple. She's preoccupied with that time that she can be his and he can be hers. What are we preoccupied with in this time, in this generation? We who are the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church, are we preoccupied with the distractions? 
Are we preoccupied with how the dress looks? Because a lot of times we get caught up in those things. But he wants us to come to the place where we say I do and mean I do. Not say I do and then I don't. This warning is a huge slap in the, in the face to all the religious thinkers. We're not inviting you to come to church to be religious. This is not a religious service. This is a service that gives you the opportunity to enter into a love relationship with God. Be impressed with his presence so that you can continue falling deeper and deeper in love with him. You know, in the, in the, in the Great Commission, the last words of Jesus on earth before he went to heaven. Do you remember what he told them? Go therefore, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All nations. He didn't say all people in the nations. He said all nations. That's mind-blowing when we think that a nation can be discipled as a nation. We always try to buffer it and say no, no, no. He meant the people in the nations. No, he meant nations. He said nations. He could have said the people of the world. He's not very, you know, loose with his words. He's very precise. He said, go make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all that I have taught you. Did he say that? No. He didn't say that. He said, teaching them to obey all that I have taught you. To live according to what I have taught you. Not just to learn it. This isn't just a degree that you earn. It isn't just a religion where you learn what to do and what not to do. It's a relationship where you enter in and you are impressed with this lover that you fall in love with him and become more and more willing to form yourself into what fits with him. He wants us to have his nature. He wants us to have his character. He wants us to be so sensitive, he will never force himself. He will never tell us what to do. Like he'll tell us what to do when we ask, but he will never impose on us what to do. He will not possess us to do something that we don't want to do. The enemy does that. When you open the door to him, he will come in and he will steal, kill, rob and destroy and he will make you do what you don't want to do. Addictions, for example. Addiction to Jesus is totally different. Addiction to Jesus is not you being forced to do something you don't want to do. Addiction to Jesus, submission to Jesus, being a slave to Jesus, being a lover of Jesus, makes you want to just, what do you want me to do next? Left foot or right foot? Okay, right foot. Right foot again or left foot? Right foot, okay. It's weird. But you know, he gave us illustrations of that throughout history to demonstrate to us the caution. And the caution is to those that think they are more than to those that think they're not. What? If you think that you are holy, if you think that you are mature, if you think that you are always ready and willing, yes, I will go. The warning is, hey, you say you will, but your actions don't match. The warning is for those people. The people that say no 
The encouragement is make your no yes and do it. The people that have already said no are coming into the kingdom today more than the people that had said yes from the past. Today, not in Jesus' time, today. Jesus appears to people in dreams and in visions all over the Middle East. And they respond. They recognize that he is Messiah. He is the Holy One. They recognize because of what they have seen in their vision or their dream that this Jesus isn't just a prophet like I've been told. He's something different. He is God. But yet the Christians that have been generational Christians don't respond the same way. Oh yeah, we, we have him. It's interesting that we have Iranians and Armenians in this congregation. And one of the churches that make up City River is an Armenian church. Armenians have the privilege of their history that they were the first nation to declare Jesus as king over the nation, discipling, discipling nations. And they hold on to that as a point of pride. And this story that Jesus tells is exactly to that. Don't say I have and be poor. The people that say I don't have, and right now, you know, there's conflicts in that region. Armenians are being pushed out of Nagorno-Karabakh, and it's an ugly situation. Some call it ethnic cleansing, some call it genocide, some pre-genocide, some call it whatever. The point is, in the land of Azerbaijan, the church is growing at an amazing rate despite what the government is saying and doing. Isn't that mind-blowing? I saw a picture the other day of a badge that's on the shoulder of some of the Azeri soldiers that say, hey, Armenians, don't run. It will only kill you by exhaustion. And they have a picture of Anwar Pasha in the middle. Those of you who are Armenians know what I'm talking about. Anwar Pasha was one of the main designers of the genocide of 1915. So there's a lot of ugliness going on. But are the Armenians responding? What I'm hearing from talking to the leaders in the church in Armenia is that there's an awakening happening in Armenia as well. Now always be, when there's a threat, you know, there's an old saying that says there's no atheists in the trenches. The trenches are the holes that they dig and the soldiers stand in during the, uh, the border, uh, across the borders of each other during the, uh, the uh, war. Everybody there believes in God because the bullets are coming. But what happens when the bullets stop coming? How do we react? So we're praying, but what about here in Canada? What about here in our home? How is the Lord discipling this nation? Well, it depends on the church. If the church is demonstrating his holiness, and if the church is walking in a, the power of its unity, then John 17 is answered by Jesus prayed that they may be one so that the world would know the Father sent the Son. Okay, how does this affect you and me personally? One of the other stories that is part of the reading for this week is a story of Moses. Moses left his fingerprints all over the nation of Israel, all over Christianity, all over Islam, 
all over the monotheistic religion of that region, the Abrahamic faith, he was the prophet of prophets. He was the deliverer that took Israel. He heard God at the burning bush. You know who I'm talking about when I say Moses? Musa, right? Moshe in Hebrew. He heard God. He was minding his own business, taking care of his animals, and then in the burning bush, he hears God and saying to him, come, I'm going to send you so that I've heard the cry of my people, now get them out. And as he's doing that, he has been teached, he is being taught, God is teaching him to hear his voice and obey. And he does well. God blesses him. God calls him at one point, and we're going to read the story together in Exodus 17. Exodus was the time that Israel was still in Egypt. God gives them the calendar and what to do on the calendar and what they have to do to get out of Egypt. There were plague after plague, 10 plagues. The last one, the angel of death is going to come through Egypt, kill all the firstborns, human males, humans, animal with anybody who doesn't have the blood across the doorposts and the lentil. Lentil? Lentil. They, they were used to eating lentils in Egypt. The blood was their only salvation. So the people of Israel killed the animal, put the blood on the doorposts, and now the blood of the lamb saved them. And now that was the night that God delivered them and gave them the Passover to remember that he passed over their house and didn't go in the angel of death to kill their firstborn. So they came out of Egypt and he's given them the calendar and in that first year they're still journeying. In that first year they had come out of Egypt they were very happy that they are no longer slaves but before you know it they started getting used to being out of Egypt and not slaves and they started to grumble about the conditions. Now, they believed God enough to walk through the dry river or the sea as the water parted. The same God that parted the water and buried the army of Egypt in that same water of the Red Sea is the God that's walking with them. So, Noah, uh, excuse me, Moses knows this. So the people came to Moses and they grumbled saying, we want water, we want food, we want this, we want that. So Moses knew enough at that point to go to God and speak to God and tell him, Lord, this is the issue. So he sought, he was seeking God. And the Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, one of the curses was that Moses was to use the staff, the shepherd's staff that he had when God appeared to him at the burning bush. Take the staff, strike the Nile, and it was going to turn into blood. Strike the Nile, and there was going to be frogs and different things. This was the symbol of the power of God with Moses. This was the symbol of the presence of God with Moses. This was the symbol that made everybody know that the God of heaven has heard Moses, has blessed Moses, has called Moses 
to do his bidding, to do his will on earth and make it visible to us. Whatever the symbol is that you have, that God is with you, whatever thing in your mind and in your heart and in your presence, in your life, symbolizes the presence of God in your life. It could be your quiet time. It could be a miracle of healing that you've experienced. It could be anything that is a touch point that brings you to the place of knowing that you know that God has saved you and brought you out. It could be the day of your baptism when you made a confession and was baptized in front of everybody. Whatever it is, we all have a staff. We all have a symbol. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. God himself is going to be standing on the rock waiting for something to happen. Strike the rock, God says, with the staff, the power, the symbol, the presence symbol. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders. Now this was just Moses and probably 70 other people because there were 70 elders at the time that they were walking with Moses. Now this is one story. This is very early on in the Exodus. This is at the time that maybe 45 days out from the time that they were still in Egypt. Years later, they find themselves in a similar situation. Moses has been imprinted. Earlier I was praying, imprint us with your presence. Imprint us with your nature. Moses had been imprinted with the character of God. That staff was a symbol. People knew when later in chapter 20, Exodus 20, God encounters Moses when they went up to the mountain and God speaks to Moses. His face was shining with the glory of God. People knew that Moses and God were buddies. Moses knew that if he had a problem, he can go to God. Moses was aware of his spiritual relationship. Moses was aware of his spiritual authority. Moses was aware of the authority of his word when he spoke and set things into motion in the people of Israel. He was really aware. He had sent spies to spy the land and they came back and said what they said. And he made the decision. He got counsel from the elders. He made the decision. He stood by his word. He stood by what God said and did. He understood all of that. But as the years passed, Moses, and I'm not faulting him. I'm not condemning him. I'm just sharing with you the stories. This was in a wilderness called the wilderness of sin. S-I-N. So when you read the Bible, pay attention to some of the locations. They will help us understand the story. Now, in Numbers, Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Numbers in the sequence is further down the line. Leviticus comes in in the middle that gives us the instructions of the law. But the history, we jump from Exodus to Numbers almost. And Deuteronomy wraps it all up by retelling the story. 
So in Numbers, we have a story that's further down the line, probably around year 39 of the 40-year journey in the wilderness. And this is now in the wilderness of Zin, not Sin, not S-I-N, Z-I-N. Totally different location, but the story is so similar. Totally different place, totally different time. Miriam had died, Aaron had died, Moses now is the kid brother that has grown old. He's the younger of the three in his family. And he's now alone with his wife and others and leaders and Joshua and all the other leaders. And they know Moses is eventually going to go. But they all believed that Moses is going to go into the land of of God's promise with us. All that other generation that came out of Egypt had died one by one. All of them. Miriam, they thought maybe, maybe there is a special family. Maybe they're going to go in. There's no such thing as a special family. There's different anointings and callings, and yes, they are special by virtue of what God wants to do through them, but they're not uniquely special. So Abraham, uh, uh, Aaron and, and Miriam are gone, and now God calls on, or, or God is called upon by Moses because again the people are grumbling. There's no water. And now they've grown in number. They multiplied. They were not as oppressed as they were in Egypt. The congregation or the family of Israel, the 12 tribes, multiplied in the desert, in the wilderness. So they come and Moses is telling them, people are complaining about me. And he tells them, no, 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 they're not complaining about you. They're complaining about me. Take the staff. Remember the staff. Take the symbol of my presence, take the symbol of my authority, take the symbol of my power, take the testimony that you know of my character with you, take your faith, in other words, back with you to the rock, and assemble. Now, notice there's differences. This isn't just the elders. He says, assemble the whole congregation and your brother Aaron. Now, Aaron hadn't died yet. Miriam had. In this passage here, we still have Aaron is still around us. And command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. What, would, what was God saying in the first case? In 17, strike. Now he's saying, speak. Thus you will bring water out of the rock for them, and thus you shall provide drink for the congregation and their livestock. So Moses took the staff before the Lord, As he had commanded him, Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Listen, you rebels. Shall we bring water out of this rock for you? Then Moses lifted up his hand and spoke to the rock and struck the rock. How many times? Twice. It worked the first time. It was just one strike. Wait, something is wrong. Maybe the the signal is not that high. He's trying to get the signal in the desert before he strikes it again, but he strikes it the second time. What God did the first time worked because 
Moses heard and obeyed. What happened this time, Moses heard, disobeyed, pushed in his disobedience by striking it now the second time. But God was gracious. He could have let Moses and Aaron just stand there with egg on their face. But he stepped in and he let the water come out. But he tells them. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Moses and Aaron, you too will die in the wilderness. Along with Miriam and all those that came out except for two, Joshua and Caleb. How sad. And, and later on we read that God calls him to the mountain and he makes him look over and he sees the land. He comforts himself. Now I'm surprised he didn't repent. I'm surprised he didn't say, Father, I'm really sorry. I misrepresented you. Can you forgive me? You've given me all these laws that show that you are a merciful God and ready to forgive. I don't know why he didn't do that. Maybe he knew something we don't. Maybe God revealed to him that no, no matter, maybe he did repent, but it's not recorded. Whatever the case, he never entered. Joshua led the people into the land of promise. This is a wake-up call. When you say, I do, go and do. When you say, I don't, you have the opportunity to keep saying, I don't, but you also have the opportunity to say, okay, I'll go and do it. Whatever the case, the Lord wants to bring us into the place where we hear his voice and obey his voice. You may have been hearing my voice through God's voice through my sermon today, my words to you today. You may be hearing his voice now and you've never come to the place where you've surrendered your life to him. He may be working in the circumstance right now. In 1 Corinthians, Paul puts it this way. I don't want you to be ignorant. brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud in the wilderness and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and that all ate the spiritual food, the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. In the first case, God said, I'll be standing on the rock. Strike it. Jesus is the rock. The first time when they were saved out of Egypt, that first strike, we can make the parallel to that was the, the death and the strike against Jesus himself on the cross. There's no second strike that's needed. It's not like baseball, first strike, second strike, third strike. The first strike they got water, the third strike they got water. But that wasn't the plan. The plan was now talk to it. Jesus has already been crucified once and for all. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect rock that has been struck. But now we are being invited to come into the place. If we've already experienced the striking of that rock, there isn't striking left. 
there's now a conversation that's left. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, including Moses and Aaron. And they were struck down in the wilderness. The strikers struck, were struck down. So as we walk and as we grow and as we mature in our relationship with God, He wants to bring us to the place where we are so sensitive in our spirit that we hear Him, we seek Him first, and we hear Him. You know, in Hebrews, in chapter 11, it's a chapter that discusses faith. And he says these words, And without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. For whoever would approach God must believe that he exists. Otherwise, who, who, who are you approaching? You have to first believe he exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. He doesn't reward those who seek him only. But the word here, when he says who seek him, includes in it not just the seeking but the seeking and following we're not meant to be eternal seekers we're meant to be eternal followers he didn't say to the people that came seeking him when he was on earth seek me he told them hey drop everything follow me now that you have been seeking me and you found me follow me and in that we can rest assured that God, this God that wants us to seek, hear, and obey, is the God who is always ready to be found. He's always ready to be found. He's not playing hide and seek. He is ready to be found. If you're listening to me online, if you're listening to me here in person, you have been, at least somebody invited you to listen. Maybe you stumbled online by accident. Maybe you came here for whatever reason. But the Lord is speaking to you. Your motivation for being here is different than what He wants to do. It could be. It could be exactly what He wants to do. You may come here for whatever other reason, selfish reason, personal reason, whatever. You've come here and now He's in your presence showing you himself through the character of God. We're going to come to this table, which is an expression of that Passover. It's expression of that rock that was struck. It's the expression of the sacrificed lamb that was killed once for all. He's ready to be found. You're that close to finding him. Just open your eyes and say yes. And then he is ready to answer. Whatever your situation is, he is ready to give you the answer. Not an answer. The one answer. The one perfect answer. Moses' answer was strike the rock twice. God's answer was just speak to it. It takes a lot more effort to strike a rock than to speak to it. And the miracle is even bigger. Nobody can say that the water was just where there. It was ready for a vibration to be let loose. Well, the vibration of the voice is a lot smaller than the vibration of a stick or a staff. I don't know how that miracle happened. But God honored Moses nonetheless. But he punished him or he didn't reward him. And God is ready to reward you if you obey. So I want to invite you today. Forget the past. 
Forget the I do and you know I don't. Or I do but I won't. Or I won't but I did. Forget all of that. He's inviting you into a freshness. Come into his presence afresh today, especially as we come to the table. Come into his presence. You may not understand all of it. None of us do. If we understood it, then it can't be God because we could put it through in our minds. God is beyond our minds. Our minds are trying hard to catch up to the bigness of God. But just come and say to him today, Lord, I'm seeking you. Let's stand up. Let's get the kids up here so we can be ready for the communion. Lord, I don't know if I'm seeking you or I'm just at the right place at the right time. When I first accepted Jesus as my Savior, I was 18 in my parents' living room. There was this missionary from Egypt that asked me the question, would you like to have Jesus, the Sultan or the Lord of your life? And I said, yes. We prayed and I was born again. I wasn't necessarily seeking. He was seeking me out. You may not be here because you're seeking, but he's seeking you out. You may be here because you've already been found and found him, but you have other questions that you have. You're seeking. You're seeking a healing. You're seeking a deliverance. You're seeking a breakthrough. Whatever it is you're doing, seek him right now. Just say, Lord, in your own heart, you can pray this. You can pray it out loud. Lord, I need you. I need you more in my life than I've ever needed you. I need you more today. I need to be sensitive to your voice, Lord. I may have said I do or may have said I don't in the past, but today I say I want. I want to obey you. I want to surrender to you. I want your presence in my life. I want your will to be done in my life. I want your kingdom to be made visible in and through my life.